You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can visit us online at covenantchurch.us. In our world today, we need a better understanding of God's view of His world and how to live in the present culture without it slowly wearing away at our morals. This message is from part four of our series, The Departed, the first installment of our book study on Romans, where we are focusing on a people that have willingly departed from God's original plan for them. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Reading from Romans 1, starting in verse 22, we see this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in, their, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Look at your neighbor and say, exchanged. And they exchanged the truth for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they, know, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Today, um, I'm kind of break, breaking some preaching protocol, and normally I have like one sermon title. Today I've got two, okay? Is that okay? Can I have two? Is that all right? I can do what I want. Um, what are you going to do? Say no. Um, so I've got two this morning. The first one is When the Lord Leaves, and the second title is The Zombie Church. First one is When the Lord Leaves, and the second title is The Zombie Church. So as you find your seats today, I want you to touch three people. Let them know which sermon title you prefer. Which one do you like better? Come on. All right, so on our property, my wife and I purchased some time ago. Um, we, we found out recently, well, not recently, but we found out that there are apple trees. Um, any apple fans in here? Yeah, we like apples, right? Um, and uh, so we found out that there's three apple trees. Now, they're old, they're big, they're bulky, they're kind of everywhere, they're kind of nasty looking. So we were surprised when they started sprouting apples. We were surprised by that. And my kids were like, yeah, there's apples. I was like, don't eat those. Those look disgusting, right? And we, of course, we go out to a fruit farm, we pick fruit and, and all that kind of stuff. We come home and, and eat it. But my thought process was like, hey, why pay money to go and pick fruit if there's fruit growing on my own property that I can pick and eat for free? So I went, to, um, I went next door and talked to an, an old farmer uh, who, who he sometimes comes and, and uh, bush hogs my, uh, my, 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 my field that I have. And uh, normally does it with his, his tractor from the 40s um, while he wears overalls with no shirt underneath. But anyway, 
That's just the truth right there. Things got real. Um, and so I asked him, I said, hey, man, I got, I got a question for you. Um, how do I get these fruit? How do I get this apple, these apples? How do I get them to come out better? Do I, do I need to prune the branches? Do I need to spray the trees? Um, do, do I need to, you know, spray the apples for bugs? What do I need to do? And this old farmer, he's an old guy, he, he looked at me and he smiled. And as kind of an old farmer can tend to do, he, he didn't belittle me, but he definitely taught me something that day, you know what I'm saying? He looked at me and he said, listen, son, he called me son, of course, son, the fruit is not your problem. I said, okay, because I'm thinking it is, because that's what I want to eat, you know. And he's like, the fruit's not your problem. What you really need to do is, 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 is get into the soil. What you really need to do is, is do the difficult job of, of, uh, of getting down into your knees, getting your hands dirty. Um, what you really need to do is get down into the tree's roots. If you only ever focus on the fruit, you'll never fix anything. Isn't that good? This is, this, this is what a farmer told me. And he said, every year you'll just, be, you'll just be working on the same apples. But if you get down and do the hard work of fixing the root, then over time it will fix the fruit. This is what he told me, word for word. If you do the hard uh, job of, of fixing the root, over time it will fix the fruit. That old farmer, come on, he, he schooled me on preaching 101 <laughs> with a can of skull in his back pouch. I'm just saying. <laughs> Listen, Romans 1, specifically our text today, contains some topics that many people, maybe many of you, would like for me to preach about, like me to preach against. And we do have a variable treasure trove of sins here, don't we? I mean, honestly, Paul lays out a bunch of them, doesn't he? Look at all of them that he says. He, he lays them out in, 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 our, in our text. He says, homosexuality, unrighteousness, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, deceit, gossip, disobedient kids. We like to camp out on that one. Maybe we'll do a sermon on that one. Faithlessness. And, and here's the point. While I, while I believe I, I would be totally justified in preaching any one about any one of these sins, I wonder, is that the best use of our time? Is that the best use of our time to preach about these sins? Is Paul laying these sins out as, 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 as root issues? Or is he laying out these sins as fruit issues? In other words, maybe if we do the hard work ourselves of getting to the root, then God will take care of the fruit. Are you with me so far? Maybe if we get down and get a little bit dirty, get our hands dirty, get on our knees and, and take care of the root, then maybe God will take care of the fruit. How many of you know that the same people who are talking about the fruit today are the same people who were talking about the fruit yesterday, are the same people who are going to be attacking and talking about the fruit 10 years from now. Do you know that's true? A lot of talk going on, not a lot of action. I think that's a song. A lot of talk going on. We need a little bit less talk and a lot more action, to quote horrible country music. I don't know what's happening to me. Help me. I don't know what I'm turning into. Um, yeah. We want to point out the fruit as the problem, but, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. The fruit is only the product of the root. What you see comes from the root. You, you see the fruit. You see what's taking place. You see that, and you're like, that's the problem. What I'm letting you know is that fruit is only the fruition of the root. 
it would behoove us, it would, it would, it would benefit us to work on the root. The root issue is the issue. The fruit is merely the fruition of the root. I believe the church needs to spend less time talking about the fruit and more time attacking the root. We need to spend, I'm going to say that again because I didn't get the reaction that I'm hoping for and that I'm believing that you are going to jump in with. We need to spend less time as God's people, as God's church, we need to spend less time talking about the fruit and more time attacking the root. Are you with me? Somebody say, attack the root. Okay, you asked for it. Yeah, you asked for it. You just did. Attack the root. But I got to be honest with you, you're not going to like it. Most likely. You're not going to like it. Getting to the root requires us getting our hands dirty. It requires us getting to our knees and doing some digging. Paul lays out for us in this passage the fruit of abandoning God and the fruit of what happens when the Lord leaves. He uses many phrases, many words, many descriptive uh, uh, phrases here. But to sum it up in modern, modern terms, if you're taking notes this morning, which I know you do because you show up with expectancy, scripture, and a pad and pen, um, I would write this down to sum it up in modern terms. Um, Paul says it's the people that glorify what God has deemed immoral and sinful. That's the fruit of what happens when the Lord leaves. That's the fruit of what happens when we abandon God. We become a people that glorify what God has deemed immoral and sinful. Let me see if this sounds familiar. A society where pornography has been deemed normal. A society where unnatural relationships are not only accepted, but they're glorified. That's new. That's happened this year, has it not? Uh, how about this? A nation where there is rebellion in children and their parents alike. A society where murder is acceptable. I'll let you think about that one for a minute. You say, well, that's not happening. A society where murder has been deemed acceptable. Uh, where lying is okay if you're not caught, where gossip is the norm, where boastful people are put up front. This is the fruit of a society that will bear when they serve, when they leave the Lord, and when God abandons them. Would you agree with this? Yes? I'm trying to get you to a place here before I can jump in. So the question has to become, what's the root issue? Because those are just the fruit. And we could talk about the fruit, we could point out the fruit, we could, you know, yap about the fruit all day, talk about how bad the fruit tastes, and how weird the fruit is, how awful. We could do that. That's fine. I'd rather get to the root issue. Well, of course, one of the root issues is sin. Of course, we know that. We know that all men are born sinners. Scripture states this clearly in passages like Psalm 51, Proverbs uh, chapter 22, Romans 3, Romans 5. Um, but, but, but man has always been sinful, has he not? Man has always been sinful. So while this may be a root issue, I, I don't know that this is maybe the root issue in, in our context and what we're talking about today. What's different about this passage that we just read? In other words, what is missing from the passage that we read in Romans 1? There's something missing here. I think that's the root problem. The something, the, the group of people that are, that are missing from this equation. Do you see any group that's not represented in this passage? How about the church? The church is absent in this passage. Now, if we're to believe scripture, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us, his people, his church, that we are the salt of the earth. Amen? He tells his church that, that we're supposed to be a city on a hill, that the church is a light in the darkness. So here's my question. Where is the salt in this passage? Where is the city on a hill in this passage? Where is the light in the darkness in this passage? 
I wonder, could it be that the church in this passage, and, and maybe, just possibly, in our own context today, has actually blended with society to a fault? Could it be that there is no uh, difference between the world's logic and many of our church's logic? Could it be that the church has tried to become so relevant with its message that it has actually become irrelevant to its culture? I think so. If the definition of relevant is closely connected or, to, or appropriate to the matter at hand, then yes, I do believe that this is possible. A church whose message is nearly indistinguishable from the culture in which it finds itself in. A church that preaches virtually the same message as the culture around it. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I think so. I, I want to talk this morning about the fact that it is not the role of the church to blend with the culture it finds itself in. Listen now. It is the role of the church to create such a dynamic and radically different culture that it actually swallows up the, the, the culture around it. It is the role of the church to blend with the, it is, it is not the role of the church to blend with the culture it finds itself in. Listen now, it is the role of the church to create such a dynamic and radically different culture of its own that it swallows up the culture around it. Are you with me? Do you agree with me? Do you, do you, but do you really agree with me? You say you agree with me, but we don't li you don't live like you agree with me. And sometimes I don't live like I agree with me either. We don't produce product that agrees with that statement. How many of you agree that the culture that the church creates should be better than the culture surrounding it? Do I need to remind you this morning of the words of Jesus in John 17 when he tells us that we are, we are in the world but we are not of the world. The church creates a culture that is better than the world because it's founded on better principles. It's founded on a better king. It's founded on the truth of the gospel. It's founded on the back of King Jesus. It's founded on dead to life. It's founded on the gospel. That's why the culture we create, the church creates, should be better than the world. The world creates a culture formed and based on death. We form a culture based on life, which is Jesus Christ. It should be better. It should be better. In other words, is the predominant church culture a culture of life? Or is it a culture of death? Is this the predominant church culture of our day? Or have churches become so much like the world in their message that they have just become another bland voice in the culture? In other words, let me ask you this. What is different about us? What is different? Come on, what is different about us? Well, let's go through the list. How about a church's service to their community? Let's be honest. Most nonprofits do a better job of serving the orphans, widows, and homeless than churches do. Not even people that love Jesus. Just people that love people. They do a much better job most times. Uh, how about our songs, our music, our worship? Now, I'm not talking about style. So if you maybe are from a different generation where you're like, finally, my time, my time has come. My preaching has come. Bring back the organ. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the instruments you use or don't use or the style in which you sing or how you dress or how, you know, whatever. I'm not talking about style. I'm talking about substance. I'm talking about style. I'm talking about substance. Most Christian songs can be swapped out for any number of modern love songs. Come on. We, we throw a bone to Jesus every once in a while. I love you. I love you. You're everything. I need you. I need you. Jesus. You are so beautiful. You are so wonderful. Everything about you. I'm better with you. 
Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? Most worship music now has become about us. Not Jesus, folks. We sing words like, I can do this. I am this. I will do this. This is who I am. And it sounds spiritual, and it sounds biblical, and it sounds theologically accurate. But my friends, it is what I call humanism. It is humanism. It is based on being filled with human emotion rather than being fueled by spiritual power. How about church's preaching? I can talk about this a little bit. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. Listen to any number of our churches, uh, maybe not ours, but hopefully not ours, but listen to any number of churches' teachings, and what do you hear? Let's just be honest. Sermons based on you, not sermons based on God. Sermons based on your happiness, not God's. Sermons based on your prosperity, not God's supremacy. Sermons based on building your kingdom, not God's. Take any number of motivational talks, leadership talks, TED talks, Tony Robbins seminars, Oprah Winfrey Stadium filling road show, and you'll find that their message is nearly identical to many of the sermons being preached from our pulpits across our American landscape today. Sure, we may throw Jesus a bone here or there, but now and again, right? But otherwise, it is exactly the same. And it sounds spiritual. It sounds biblical. It sounds theologically accurate. But my friends, it is humanism. It is based on human emotion and not being fueled by spiritual power. What is humanism, you ask? I'm glad you asked. You ask good questions. <laughs> humanism is a system of values and beliefs that is based on the idea that people are basically good. And that problems can be solved using reason instead of religion. Mm, that sounds interesting. Remember our five fatal steps? What was number four last week? Number four was this, self-proclaimed ability to live without God. You don't need religion. You don't need Jesus. People are basically good. I see the best in people because people are good. I believe in you. Why? Not because Jesus believes in you, but because, because I think you're good. I think people are capable of good. People are evil. Left to ourselves, we are depraved, we are lost, we are empty, we are bad. <laughs> we, we are awful, it's, it's the truth. And look, listen, this, this isn't going to make it like, like on some like soap opera or, t or TV show or popular talk. Like people aren't going to say like, listen, you know, what's the problem in your marriage? The problem in your marriage is you're both sinners. The problem in your marriage is you're both fully depraved. The problem in your marriage is you're both awful people. The problem in your marriage is you need Jesus. So you go through all different types of counseling, you go through all different types of techniques, but unless you got Jesus in the center of it, there is no hope for you, there is no fix. You get that? That's on the side. Anyway, uh, a TV show that has picked up tremendous following over the past couple of years is a show named The Walking Dead. You heard of it? Uh, now, in case you've been living under a rock the past couple of years, let me explain. This show primarily revolves around uh, what happens to society when everyone around you becomes a zombie. That's basically what it's about. Um, early on, some of the characters in the show had a difficult time in the show, not in real life, but in the show they had a difficult time with some of these zombies because they were, they were once, these zombies now, they were at one time loved ones. Now they're zombies. And it took a long time for some of them as characters, um, a long time for some of them to realize that, that even though they looked like their loved ones, even though they were walking around, even though they looked very much alive, the fact was they were very much dead. They weren't alive, they were, they were dead. It took a while for some of them to, to, to understand that there was no life there, just the appearance of life. 
That's the thing with a zombie, if I've learned anything about zombies. There is no life there. There is just the appearance of life, the appearance of being alive, the, the appearance of life. Something about that phrase, the appearance of being alive. Turn to your neighbor and say, the appearance of being alive. Go ahead. Do we see anything like this in Scripture? The appearance of being alive. Do we ever see a phrase like this in Scripture? Well, in fact, we do. Listen to the words of John in Revelation chapter 3, and notice who he's speaking to. Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. First off, he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Who is this passage to? This is to a church. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You have the appearance of life, there's no life there. Everything around you indicates that there should be life, that there would be life, that there could be life, but you are dead. Who is this message to? Who is this passage written to? A church, but not just any church, a zombie church. This is a zombie church, a church that has the reputation of being alive, but is actually dead. They were Christians in name only. Don't miss that. They called themselves Christians, but they were Christians in name only. Not only was there no substance deep down, but there was equally no life there either. An old poet says it like this, outwardly splendid as of old, inwardly lifeless, dead and cold. Her force and her fire all spent and gone, like the dead moon she still shines on. Telling of where we find ourselves in our culture today, yes? Unfortunately, there are thousands and thousands of zombie churches and zombie Christians across our nation today. I'll tell you how I know. It's what gives non-Christians such a negative impression of Christians. It's what drags a good church down. It's what gives people who don't know Jesus a bad um, impression of, of a good church. I'll tell you why. They, see, they hear the profession, right, from a zombie church, a zombie Christian. They hear the profession. They hear the wonderful words, but there is no life in them. There is nothing that backs them up. A church says, we love you, community. We care about you, community. But that they invest in spending millions and millions and millions of dollars in their buildings instead of spending any money in their community. They say things like, we care about the gospel being centered on the world, and they pay copious amounts of money to these organizations that bring them benefit, but neglect the missionaries that are serving in Africa and Uganda. This is when somebody stands up who doesn't know Jesus and says, I don't want anything that has to do with that because you're a hypocrite. And, and if Jesus was who Jesus said he was, I don't think him that he was a hypocrite. So therefore, you must not know Jesus. You're a liar. I don't want anything to do with you. Meanwhile, other people are saying like, you know, we're trying to pour into people. We're trying to love people the way that Jesus did. And they said, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. And they ruin opportunities. And they blow it. Zombie churches and zombie Christians are dangerous, dangerous, dangerous people. Hmm. These churches consist largely of mild-mannered people meeting in mild-mannered ways, striving to be more mild-mannered. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So I'm kind of preaching angry today. They are dead. 
There is the reputation in the appearance of life, but they are not alive. They are dead. As I see it, this is the root issue that has brought to fruition the kind of fruit that we see in our generation today. This is the root issue. What is the root issue? The church not being who she was called to be. The church not acting in the power that it was called to act in. The church not choosing to move in the power that has been freely given to her. So, so then we, the question becomes, what do we do about it? How do we work on the roots? What, what does a zombie church need? What does a dead church need? You ask the best questions. And I'm so glad you do because I wouldn't know what to do if you didn't. Um, as it turns out, Scripture gives us a point-by-point blueprint of what to do. Look at this, verse 2. It says this. It says this. You got notes. Start writing this down. Re- Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. It says, wake up, strengthen what remains, what is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. This phrase, wake up in the Greek, is Gregorejo. Say that with me, Gregorejo. It's so fun to say. It's like you're ordering at the Olive Garden. Gregorejo. You don't order an Italian at the Olive Garden? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Say, Gregorio Ginome. Gregorio Ginome. You can tell there's like a staccato nature to these Greek words. And it means, wake up. Get up. It's like a slap in the face. It's like a bucket of ice water being thrown on you in, in the morning to wake you up. They're sharp words. They're designed to stimulate. That's, that's what these are. And Paul says it like this in Ephesians 5. He says, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Gregorejo ginome, wake up. The first thing that the church must do is wake up. The first thing, number one, that the church must do is awaken to its condition. Take a step back. And realize you're dead. Take a step back and ask yourself, do my actions line up with my words? Take a step back and say, am I following through with what I have preached? The second command is given immediately after verse 2 says, wake up. And then he says, and strengthen what remains and what is about to die. Jesus has already told his church in this passage that there is still value to be found in her. He says, I know your works. They were Good works. They were. That's the key word. They were good works in a way, but they were incomplete. And he goes on. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. The works were incomplete, unfinished. The actions were right, but the motives were wrong. Their actions were right, but their motives were wrong. They were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. You ever know anybody that does that? They want a compliment from you, and you're like, you did the right thing, the wrong way for the wrong reason. I don't want your thing anymore. I don't want what you're giving to me because you've given it to me in the wrong way. And as you read this, you can see that this is a church that is busy doing good things. Church of Sardis, is a, this is a zombie church. It's a church that's busy doing good things, but, but they're doing them to be noticed by people. They're serving the homeless, but, but they're doing it in a way that everybody will see them serving. That they're raising money and collecting for things. And then when they give, they do it in front of everybody. Look at all that we have done. Look at how wonderful that, that, that we are. And Jesus says, strengthen your good deeds. Strengthen them because they're about to die. How? By putting their motives right. The second thing a zombie church needs to do is put their motives right. Here's how. You do the things that Jesus commands you to do on the basis of obedience, not on the basis of whether anyone will recognize how great you are. 
You do it on the basis of obedience, not status. Let me ask you this morning, church, do you follow Jesus on the basis of obedience or do you follow Jesus on the basis of status? Do you want to say, God, I will do what you ask me to do for the simple fact that you have commanded me to do it. That's why I, that's why I do it. Paul says to the Corinthians, he goes to this church, church in Corinth, and he says, I am a fool for Jesus Christ. Because of the way that I follow Jesus, sometimes I look like a fool. Church in Corinth had fallen in much the same trap. They, they, they were caught up into the folly of their culture. And, and, and Paul says, man, like even if nobody knows, I'm still going to follow Jesus. How many of you know that some of your greatest deeds will never be tweeted? Some of your, your greatest actions will never be Instagrammed. Some of your greatest moves of obedience will never be seen by man, but rather by God alone. Are you okay with that? Number three. This is my final point. Strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Number three, this is my final point. Remember then that you have what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Verse three, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. I need you to recognize something real quick before we jump into this. Um, very important about this reading here because it says in English, remember what you have received. But in the Greek, the word, which was its original language, the word what is actually the Greek word pos, which means how. It's like, how do they get that wrong? It's, it's actually really easy. Um, but the word here is, is how. So go home and Google the word P-O-S if you want to. And in Greek, um, be careful what you pull up on your Google. Um, but I'm just saying, um, so type in Greek. Okay, you get the point. Um, but it actually means how. Some of you are just now getting that. It means how. So here's my third point. Remember, this is important. This is very important. Remember how you first heard the gospel. Not what you first heard, but how you first heard. I'm telling you this is important. What they heard, of course, was the gospel. They heard the message of Jesus, his crucifixion on behalf of all sinners uh, uh, because of his resurrection, because of his availability to human beings. Now um, they can be saved by the Spirit to strengthen them and impart to them his own righteous life and position. They had heard all that, but what Scripture asks here is, how did it come to you? How did it come to you? Remember how you received and heard this. Listen, what this is referring to is the ministry of, of the Holy Spirit. How did you hear the gospel? Through the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who fills his church. The Holy Spirit is the one who fills his people. The Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates the text, the scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who brings conviction. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes up residence inside of us. When these people had first heard the gospel, they had heard it from the Spirit. They heard it from the Holy Spirit. The word came to them in the power of the Spirit. So we got to ask ourselves today, this morning, uh, a church, like, how do we lay hold of the Spirit? How, how do we get back what could be lost? Is it possible that there are churches operating the same way that other churches operate, yet the Holy Spirit is not functioning and working and moving there? Of course. These are dead zombie churches. And Scripture talks about it over and over. He says that they will worship, they will gather, they will sing songs, and I won't be there. This is the Word of God. I won't be there. What are they doing? 
the blending with culture, the becoming an irrelevant voice in culture, and the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with this. How do you bring the Spirit's life back into a church which has the gospel? Scripture has one suggestion and one suggestion only. One command and one command only. Look at what it says. In its briefest form, it is this. Repent and believe. Same point as last week. Repent and believe. You have to look at yourself. Listen now. Look at yourself and see your wrong attitudes, your wrong outlook, your self-appraisal as unacceptable before God. Then believe. Repent and then believe. Listen, I'm talking to this church. I'm talking to us now. I'm not talking to people that don't believe in Jesus. I'm not talking to a group of atheists. I'm talking to the body of Christ. Cast yourself upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Receive from him the word of grace. Let it take deep root into your heart. Let it change you. Let it shape you. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do things that you never thought that you could do. Whether it's praying over somebody, praying with somebody, leading somebody to Jesus, or seeing amazing things take place. That is what you're called to do. Not just show up on a Sunday. Not just show up to a sea life and wonder, am I always going to struggle with reading my Bible? Am I always going to struggle with, with my prayer? The reason maybe you're struggling with Scripture, maybe the reason that you're struggling with prayer, maybe the reason that you feel unfulfilled is because you have become a zombie. There is no life in you. You are the walking dead a shell of what you are called to be, the appearance of life, but there is no actual life. In all reality, you have the reputation of life, but you are dead. Without the Spirit of God, there is no power. Come on, there is only the illusion of power. Are you with me? Without the Spirit of God, there is no change, only, only the illusion of change. Without the Spirit of God, there is no Christianity, only, only the illusion of Christianity. Without the Spirit of God, there is no life, only the illusion of life. Now, I ended last week very much the same way that I'm going to end today. By a question. Do you long to see our city come to Jesus and I'm not asking for emotions here. I'm not asking for claps and cheers. I just, do you? I know I do. We long to see our city turn to Jesus, but in order for our city to turn to Jesus, we must see revival. In order for revival to take place, we need to see the power of God at work. In order for the power of God to be at work, we need the Spirit of God to move among us freely. And in order to see the Spirit of God move among us, we must wake up. We must strengthen what remains. And we must repent. This is a sermon for a church. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Will you be a part of it? Will you build it? Thank you for listening to this message from our series, The Departed, at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us for more information and to listen to more impactful sermon audios just like this.